Hey everyone, welcome to tonight's Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Uh, Joe, tonight we're joined by our special friend, uh, Chelsea. She's also known as the Kentucky Wildcat. Not Kentucky for copyright reasons. And uh, she's here to tell, as she did back in the day when we had this show at Ole Miss, Kentucky Wildcat would come on the show and tell us some great cat jokes. And she's got plenty of them. They're perfect. Uh, Chelsea, uh, to begin, uh, I was thinking, uh, why don't you tell us some of your cat jokes? Okay. Hello, everyone, or should I say meow? Hey, Daniel. Hey, Joe. Do you guys want to hear a bad cat joke? No. Sure. Just kidding. I'm about to tell you a bunch anyways. How do the Auburn Tigers and LSU Tigers end a fight? How do they end it? They hiss and make up. <laughs> How does Coach Drinkwitz decide who to recruit? He looks through a cat a log. What's the LSU Tigers' favorite color? What is Purple. It? What do you call a phone file at an LSU Auburn match? Something out in, in Memphis. What is Pouncer used to make coffee? A percolator. What's the first sport cats learn how to play? Hairball. All right. Hairball. I'm, I'm there with it. <laughs> I like the mountain. That's a good one. The <laughs> mountain. All right, Charles. I gotta say though. The Kentucky Wildcat, your obsession with cats is simply out of control. And I really just, I can't handle it anymore. So you're kicking me out? Yep. Bye-bye. And everyone. Okay. Well, <laughs> meow to everybody. Go all of the sports teams with cat mascots. Woo! All right, thank you. <laughs> and that was the Kentucky Wildcat. She was our special guest for our locker room tonight. Uh, which is always brought to you by uh, Beach Ball Properties. Uh, as long as this hurricane stays away from us uh, this weekend, Beach Ball Properties should be back in business. Uh, things are starting to get a little better in Orange Beach and Gulf Shores, so if you're looking for a getaway, maybe not this weekend, but another weekend, the Hunter and Ginger called Beach Ball Properties. Also, a shout-out to Jensen Computer Technologies, located right outside in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Contact Ryan Durogill Jensen for all of your computer needs, and also thank you to Chelsea for joining us on the show. A special shout-out to Chelsea, a.k.a. the Kentucky Wildcat. That was fantastic. All right, Joe, I think that's a perfect lead-in to what happened to the real Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, Ole Miss gets a big upset. Um, you and I both predicted Kentucky to win. Uh, I was plainly pretty shocked that Ole Miss won that game. And really big win for the lane train in the second week of, uh, of his tenure at Ole Miss. Yeah, without a doubt. Because it was very conceivable that they fall to 0-3 if they dropped that game without Ben looming. So I think it was really important for the momentum and trajectory of the program in Kiffin's first year to get that early season win. A win that you know, came in exciting fashion that can kind of galvanize the program. And I thought that it was really kind of cooled in from an Ole Miss perspective 
that Elijah Moore and Luke Logan were on the right side of the win. And what I mean by that is let's think about the infamous egg bowl back in November, which seems like an eternity ago now, when Elijah Moore scored the touchdown, and we all know what happened, and then Luke Logan missed the extra point. This time we saw all this in victorious fashion, able to celebrate a game-winning touchdown on an extra point by Elijah Moore and Luke Logan. That's a good point, Joe. It's kind of like going 360. Although, uh, if you were to ask nine of ten Ole Miss fans on the street, would you say they were very happy that Elijah Moore lifted up his leg? Might have been the best thing for Ole Miss when he uh, when he pretended to be. No, I mean you think about that move and that decision. How much of an impact that had on the Ole Miss program, even the Mississippi State program to some degree. I mean, that was just a huge uh, moment. I think something we'll look back on for a lot of years and talk about. And I feel like had the pandemic not happened, we would we'd be, we'd, we would have been talking about it much more during the offseason. And actually, I think that Elijah Moore might have considered transferring. I think that, you know, all the distractions and with Wayne Kiffin coming to town, he kind of surprised a lot of people by coming back. Yeah, I mean, that definitely could have been something that could have been a 30 for 30. It might still be, but it might have a different tenor than it would have had before. But, you know, I'm glad to see he's doing so well, and he's done really great for the first two weeks. And uh, good for the kicker, too, because, you know, on one side, the Kentucky kicker misses a game-winning field goal. He also misses the extra point to keep things going in, in overtime. And suddenly the old Miss kicker's coming out like roses, and meanwhile the Kentucky kicker's got a lot of explaining. Without a doubt, definitely feel for him. Um, but on a positive note, Ole Miss's offense once again had an electric performance. Uh, they did virtually whatever they wanted to with the passing game. Just what we've seen Kiffin do with not even a full season of Matt Corral with a truncated offseason is just so impressive to me. And you look at how he got Jonathan Mingo involved in the passing game last week. That was something we did not see in week one. Kenny Yuboa was still strong at tight end. But um, on a negative light, the defense for Ole Miss struggled immensely. Uh, they gave up over 400 rushing yards to Kentucky. Kentucky definitely dominated in the trenches, ran the ball at will, controlled uh, most of the time of possession. But they had some turnovers. They had some mistakes. Ole Miss's offense was unstoppable at times, and I feel like the games that Ole Miss is going to win this season are going to have to be largely a lot like that. They're going to have to come down to shootouts where they have the ball last. Yeah, John, I don't think there's any doubt about that because right now teams are running at will on Ole Miss, and to be honest, like receivers are being able to do whatever they want, especially if you got a guy that's got some size, like a Kyle Pitts or something like that. Um, the defense looks very poor right now. You really see it with the linebacker position. I think that's why you're getting so many yards rushing, is that not only is the D-line not there, you don't have that second line of defense that keeps a two-yard run from going into a five-yard run. That's why linebackers are so incredibly important. And they manage the whole defense. And I think when you have Ole Miss's linebackers right now, which may be the worst in the SEC, it's really bringing down their entire defense. And 
Joe, I don't know how many times you can count in college football history that you gave up 400 yards rushing and you won. I mean, if you were to tell me that Kentucky had before this game 41 points and 400 yards rushing, I would have thought there was zero chance to almost won this game. Oh, absolutely, Dan. It's virtually unfathomable they still won the game. Um, and the game played out, I think, a lot like we kind of expected. Yeah. Uh, we thought it was going to be a game, I think, in the high 30s or low 40s. The Kentucky was going to eke out a win and just, you know, do a little bit more to win the game. And Ole Miss was going to make some type of costly turnover or mistake late, late in the game. But it really turned out being Kentucky that was the team that had those flaws in. So, I mean... It's a situation where Lane Kiffin is going to have to win some recruiting new battles and able, in order to fix that defense. There's nothing, I think, strategic, strategically they can really do this season. It all comes down to talent, and there were just too many recruiting whiffs during the Matt Luke era and the end of the Hugh Freeze era on defense where they just did not bring in enough four- and five-star guys. They're really working with a lot of two- and three-star guys on that side of the ball. Yeah, that's going to need to be the main focus of Kiffin's next recruiting class is just defense heavy. Defensive line. I mean, right now, I mean, we got two good receivers. You can always want some more receivers, but we're pretty loaded right now at the receiver and running back position. They need to focus on the O-line, the D-line, and really just the defense in general with the next recruiting class because we are thin and without a lot of talent right now. You're right. I mean, ironically, the running back is one of the deepest uh, positions on the roster. And, you know, five years ago, that would have been shocking. Yeah, with Hugh Freeze, I mean, that would have, uh, I would have thought you were crazy if you ever told me that we were deep at running back. I mean, that was a that was a forgotten position with Freeze. And I'm glad to see that now we're starting to get him again because that's something that, I mean, you know, Ole Miss hasn't had a running back that's started an NFL game since, what, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, talking like 12 years ago. So it's something that definitely needs to be approved upon in the recruiting process at Ole Miss. Definitely. Um, Joe, before we, we talk about what was just an absolute travesty that happened in Athens, let's go to the other side of Magnolia State and talk about what may have been an even worse game for someone in the SEC. Um, so we talked about it before that with Mike Leach, you get the highest of highs and you get the lowest of lows because of the way his offense is. His offense is, you know, he's not really set up to be consistent. It's just, it's always going to be like this. They go out and you beat the defending national champion who had won 15-plus games in a row, had arguably the greatest season of all time. You and I both thought that LSU had the greatest college football team of all time last year. And beat him by 10 points. Throw for 600 yards. And the next week you go out and you lose to a team who hasn't won a game in the SEC since 2017, almost three years. Uh, there's no in-between with that. I mean, they literally went from the two most biggest extremes you could have in the SEC in a manner of two weeks. And that's the Mike Leach tenure at Mississippi State. And that's probably what you should expect there. You know, I really did not think about that as far as the two opposite extremes. That's a really interesting and accurate perspective, I think, the way you put it. And I texted a friend of the show, Rachel, who we had on last year, who's an Arkansas grad. She was, I think, really excited, obviously, and screaming at Dave Suey, understandably, after the game. Because it had been three years since Arkansas had won an SEC game, and 
to do it against a team that was just on the fire the week before as far as passing yards was just, you know, very surprising. You know, we all criticized, uh, you know, Sam Pittman. You know, I guess I'm eating crow for that. But give him credit and very good at the defense coordinator from Missouri. They had just an outstanding man defensive strategy schematically to combat Mike Leach's air raid attack. I was looking at the statistics this evening preparing for the show. I noticed that when I was watching the game, Arkansas took kind of a gamble to drop um, eight back into coverage and only rush three on most of the, on most of the plays. And that allowed uh, them to stop State from having a lot of down-the-field throws. Most of the throws were short, completed passes. And so you look at the statistics for Costello against LSU, I think he had 34 completions for 623 yards. On Saturday night against Arkansas, he had 43 completions, but only 313 yards. That is a huge contrast. You have to give credit to Arkansas figuring something out in less than a week, and I think laying the blueprint for what so many of these other SEC defenses that are so much more talented are going to copy against Mississippi State. Oh, yeah, they're definitely going to be doing that. I mean, you're talking about cutting their production in half. And, Joe, the first time that I saw that kind of defense ran was last year Auburn and Kevin Steele ran that against Joe Burrow and LSU, and it worked pretty good, a variation of that, although I think it might have actually been even more extreme. Arkansas ran the 3-3-5 against State. I think Auburn actually ran a 3-2-6 against LSU last year and brought back six DBs. So it's something that a lot of people do when you're playing an offense that is going to pass all the time and that has those like elite weapons. But to see Arkansas do it and to do it so successfully, huge shock. But you got to give a lot of credit to Barry Odom, who, by the way, we want to talk about Sam Pittman, uh, you and I talking about how he didn't have a Wikipedia page, nobody knows who he is. That's a great hire getting Barry Odom as your defensive coordinator. I mean, did a really solid job in this game. And to be honest, uh, based on what I saw Auburn do against Georgia, like Barry Odom did a pretty good job holding down the Bulldogs' offense too in the first game. So right now, I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed with this Arkansas coaching staff and what they've done the first two weeks of the season. Without a doubt, I mean you have to evaluate them completely different the rest of the season, and then also you know similarly you have to really pump the brakes obviously on Mississippi State's height. You know, it's amazing just how drastically things changed. I think there were some outliers, uh, you know, in the SEC that were probably thinking this could be a year where State could slip up and actually compete for the conference after that first week. I think there were some people dreaming of that, you know, crazy SEC championship matchup between Florida and Dan Mullen against Mississippi <laughs> State, how crazy that was going to be. And now, you know, we can pretty much throw that to the wayside based on what we saw on Saturday night. It's just such a drastic change. Yeah, Joe, they went from immensely exceeding my expectations and making me think in my mind, wow, I mean, could this be a seven-win, maybe even an eight-win team? So now they're back to what I thought they were, which was the four- to five-win team. And it happened in the span of one week. I'm sure for a lot of fans, Mississippi State fans, that week of maybe LSU might have seemed like a fever dream. And guess what? It really was. It's, it's not going to be like that every week. You know, 
But last year, on a small, like extremely small microcosm, there was a similarity with Tommy Stevens's uh, debut. I mean, That's obviously right. he did not throw for 623 yards, but he was like 22 of 23 in his first game, and everybody was hyping him up. You know, it was just such an accurate passer, and how he should have started at Penn State instead of Trace McSorley. Yeah. And then things kind of leveled out the rest of the season. Yeah, I vaguely remember that now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like KJ Costello isn't as good as we thought he was, and Mississippi State's not as good as we thought they were. This is going to be an interesting game they have coming up this week in Kentucky. Uh, really going to tell where these two teams go the rest of the season. Uh, that was definitely one of the most difficult lines I was looking at today. I was like, I don't even know if I can pick this game right now because I, I'm just thinking about what, what's the motivations. They're both coming off really devastating losses, and then Mississippi State's going the gamut of emotions. Meanwhile, Kentucky is just struggling with the fact that a lot of people thought they were going to be a really good team this year, and they're going to have a very disappointing season. I don't really know who's going to win that game. That's going to be a fascinating one to see uh, psychologically where both those teams are. Yeah, like the winner or survivor of that game that you know, basically has to win it by default, you know, their season maybe can be revitalized. The loser, you just feel like it's going to be exactly. completely downhill. You feel like the loser of that, that game is destined to be a bottom-rung SEC team this year. Meanwhile, the winner could be in the middle. That, that's what that game is. It decides where you are at the pecking order, I feel like. Um, Joe, speaking about a pecking order game, uh, we saw it on Saturday night in Athens. Uh, you can go on and on about the numbers. Uh, as one of the biggest Auburn fans in the world, I'm acutely aware of the issues that we've had in Athens. We have not won a game there since 2005. And I remember that game clearly very well. That was a great ball game that we had to win um, with an interception or with a touchdown that we recovered in the end zone, they didn't give us the touchdown. We had to come back to a field goal on like a fourth down and 15 plays. So we had to win that one in an exciting fashion. And since that time, we've not won a game in Athens. We're talking about 15 years. And Joe, if you look at the numbers, it goes even crazier than that. In the second half, the last time that Auburn scored an offensive touchdown in Athens was 2007. The last time that Auburn scored a touchdown period in the second half was 2009, which conversely is the only Auburn-Georgia game I've ever been to in Athens on DeMond Washington's kickoff return for a touchdown in the second half, which I remember clearly that play because uh, for those of you who have never been to Athens before, if you go sit in the student section, uh, not this year probably because of all the COVID things, uh, they will not let people wear shirts of other teams in the Georgia student section. True story. They will actually have security guards kick you out. And I had I went with one of my friends, one of my girlfriends, uh, one of one of his girlfriends who went to Georgia, and she told me that. And I had to wear a Georgia shirt, and I still feel like my skin burns when I put on that Georgia shirt. But she told me she's like, if you wear something over, and they'll kick you out. And I thought she was kind of kidding, but I didn't want to rock the boat or anything, so I did it. And Joe, I actually saw everyone that was around me that was wearing an Auburn short shirt in the Georgia student section, security guards kicked them out. True story. But the point is, on that kickoff return, I've been staying pretty quiet the whole game. It was a pretty close game. And when DeMond Washington had a 100-yard kickoff return, I lost my mind and I outed myself as an Auburn fan. <laughs> on that play. <laughs> 
But that goes to show you, I'm talking about 2009. That's 11 years ago. I was a junior in college. And that's the last time we scored a touchdown in the second half in Athens, Georgia. And they have dominated this rivalry lately. I mean, it blows my mind. When I was a kid, Auburn had a lead in this rivalry, like a two- to three-game lead in this very hotly contested rivalry. Georgia has dominated this rivalry so much now that they have a five-game lead in the rivalry. They're 13-3 against us in the last 16 years. It's a very one-sided rivalry right now. Uh, the last time that Auburn beat Georgia as uh, the best game I've ever taken my wife to, we went 2017 when we beat Georgia 42-17 and beat up on them. But that's the only time that Kirby's beaten. I mean, that Gus Malzahn has beaten Kirby Smart, and that was in Auburn. And I lay all that predicate out there to say, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by what happened on Saturday night, that even with all those numbers that I throw out there, that was a shocking loss, the way it happened. I mean, you know, of course, we both predicted Auburn to win, but, you know, if you had told me Georgia would beat us, I'd be like, okay, it's certainly possible. They got really good athletes. Uh, they got great defense. But just the absolute ineptitude I saw from Auburn's offense, the lack of what appeared to be a clear plan, and then really uh, the defense, how much the defense just would get boxed around by a quarterback here. I don't even think it was good enough to be a – third-string quarterback on most SEC rosters, and Stetson Bennett in the fourth. Four, by the way, is for fourth-string quarterback. Uh, he beat us that bad. I mean, that was a, that, that was a, a really head-scratching loss, and it just came out of nowhere. I mean, hats off to Georgia, but I mean, what were your thoughts on what ended up being just an absolute beatdown? Just really surprising. It's like I was – with the result of the Arkansas-Mississippi State game. And kind of, when you watch both of those games alongside each other, I was kind of flipping back and forth. As you saw Arkansas kind of take it to Mississippi State uh, defensively, it kind of made a little more sense. You're like, you know, maybe we did underestimate Arkansas's defense. And you think about how they were able to hold Georgia largely in check, the running game especially, yeah. in that first half in Mayfield week four. And you saw what Auburn um, did against um, Georgia, and Georgia's defense really shut down the running game for Auburn. Um, we didn't see a game you know, this week where um, the quarterback was the leading rusher, Bo Nix, but Bixby, he was held in check and under 50 yards rushing. And on the flip side, Georgia had over 200 rushing yards and I think about 250 passing yards. And with Bennett, you just did not see that type of game being a possibility. I think overall, he didn't play, you know, like a flashy game or anything like that, any stretch of the imagination. But he played a clean game. Mm -hmm. He was throw for free, which I think is, you know, imperative if you're going to be that kind of game manager quarterback. And so Georgia's defense just played extremely well. I probably underrated them coming into this matchup, and I think back to it. Uh, but something I did want to ask you about with Bo Nix, I heard Kirk Herbstreit talk about this, and I know you and I have been both, you know, really high on what we project his career potential to look like, you know, maybe by his junior or senior season. But Kirk Herbstreit pointed out during the telecast one flaw that he sees to Bo Nix's game about not standing in the pocket long enough and instead giving up on the play too quick and running to the right or left and the receivers aren't open. Like, what, what do you think that Bo Nix needs to do 
to improve at this point? Well, Joe, I think that's absolutely his biggest flaw. I mean, there were plays against Georgia where he had plenty of time where he could have stayed in the pocket and there were open receivers. But after a couple of seconds, he'd bail out to the right and either, you know, throw it away or do a dump ball pass to Tank Bigsby when there were some guys open downfield if he had just been patient and trusted his protection. Now, I will, I will stand up for Bo in this regard that I feel like a lot of that he has done it in other games. I mean, it's definitely a bad, uh, you know, a bad mechanics call he has. But he did it, I think, more on Saturday night because he was not getting very good line coverage. Uh, the Auburn offensive line was very porous on Saturday night, and he was running for his life. And so I feel like he got worse as the game went on because he lost all confidence in his offensive line, which I can't really blame him for that. So I feel like it was a little bit exacerbated by how poor the line was playing. But, yeah, that's definitely something that he needs to work on because he gives up on plays that it could, could actually be there. And instead he does a throwaway pass or dumps it off or runs for no yards. Yeah, they've got to fix the offensive line woes because you really feel like 2021 is setting up, you know, to be their year. They're going to capitalize why Bo Nix is on campus because they've got, you know, Alabama at home next season. I feel like the stars are kind of aligned for that. But you've got to fix the offensive line because, other, you know, in other places you've got so much talent. You know, I was just thinking about Saturday night watching the game, the plethora of offensive playmakers that Bo Nix had with Schwartz as fast as he is. You know, he's just electrifying running up downfield. And, you know, you think about Seth Williams, I guess he'll be gone after this year, but still, you know, you're going to return some really good playmakers. And so it'd be a shame, you know, if they don't get to improve as a point. No, it absolutely will be, Joe. I mean, I think next year is definitely the year that sets up better for Auburn from a schedule standpoint. You're going to have a junior three-year starter in Bonex. Uh, you'll get Schwartz back. And right now, I'll tell you what looks like the best thing they might get back is Tank Bigsby. The only positive I can take from that game is that Tank Bigsby looks like he's going to be an excellent money back at some point. He was blocking really well. He did a good job of staying back to catch a lot of passes. And when he was given the ball, even when Auburn started getting down a lot, he ran really hard. So, like, I, the only positive I took from that game all night is that I saw a lot of potential in Tank Bigsby. Yeah, yeah, he definitely uh, showed some encouraging signs. Uh, Joe, I did want to want to say, uh, you know, looking at what happened in that game, who do you put the most blame on for what happened? Do you put it on Gus? Do you put it on Chad Morris? Or do you put it on Bo Nix or the offensive line? Who do you think was most at fault for what truly was just a boat race beat down? I think it probably – I think that from an Auburn standpoint, you have to blame first and foremost on the offensive line. Um, but I do think that, you know, to answer your question, I feel like Georgia is largely, largely responsible. You know, I knew they had a great defense, but, you know, maybe there's better than I imagined this year. Um, they actually had, I know one guy that's from Mississippi, uh, Kobe Dean, who had a few tackles in this game, uh, kind of an emerging player who was a five star recruit, I believe, a couple of years ago. And I just remember reading a lot about him because um, Ole Miss was on his radar being from North Mississippi. They got him, uh, Nolan Smith. I mean, he's got a lot of good, you know, defensive guys that, you know, the names changed every year with Georgia's defense, but it can't be understated just how effective they were. 
No, really. I mean, they, they were excellent. They had pressure on Bo pretty much from the get-go. Their corners made some good plays. As I was kind of worried about going in, his uh, his streak of passes without interception went to an end. I mean, he threw an interception at the end when he started getting a little bit pressed. Um, but, you know, what's interesting, though, is I really feel like the play of the game that I knew it was going to go bad, and I, the reason I blame this game on Gus Malzahn, even from the very beginning, is why on earth do you have Smoke Monday on kick coverage? That targeting that happened in the very beginning, Auburn lost his best defensive player, or arguably K.J. Brett's probably the number one, probably their number two guy who commands their entire secondary, Smoke Monday, because he was put on a kick coverage team and committed a targeting. And, I mean, I thought he just made a good play. I thought that was kind of a questionable targeting call. But the bottom line is, why even put one of your best defensive players in a situation to do that? There's a reason you put your backups on kickoff return. And I think that that should be a lesson to anyone that watches college, that they coaches college football now. Never put one of your best defensive players on kickoff return coverage. And I thought that was a huge error. And I'm not saying that lost the game. I mean, like Georgia was a better team and probably would have beaten Auburn. But I think that made a big difference. And, uh, Joe, I'll get your analysis on that when we come back for our next segment. I want to thank Chelsea and, uh, of course, the the Kentucky Wildcat for being on our show and all of our listeners. You can check out all of our episodes on uh, Spotify. Just look up the Dan and Joe Sports Show. We upload them weekly. You can also follow us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And as always, I'm Dan. Gotcha.